listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. The ushers are coming forward with Bibles, and I encourage you, if you do not have a Bible on you this morning, to raise your hand, and they will pass one of those Bibles to you. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take that home, and that is our gift to you. Uh, We believe very much in the power of the Word of God, and you can take your Bibles, and you can turn to Luke 2, whether it's one of the handout Bibles or your own Bible. And last week, when I had you raise your Bibles in the air, and we went through that little statement, I was so encouraged to see how many Bibles were up in the air, and I encourage you, bring your Bible and follow along in the Word of God. And as you are encouraged and whether uh, different words underline them and highlight and and, uh, make God's Word a a journal for you to be able to work in and and to be able to enjoy. And uh, and, and so Luke chapter 2, we'll be getting to that in a moment. We've been working through some of the old kind of familiar Christmas carols this Christmas season and, and, and just giving a little history behind them, but then looking at the word of God that they are built on. And uh, the song this morning, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, is a very well-known and a very favorite for, for many of one of the Christmas carols. It was written by Charles Wesley, whose brother was the famous John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist movement. In England, these brothers were very well-known revivalists, and, and in England, but were not allowed or admitted into the Anglican Church because of some of their theological, for theological reasons, but also because of methodology. These guys were a little bit out there. What they would do is they liked to go and they loved to proclaim the word of God outdoors or in non-church buildings, oftentimes attracting the the coal miners and others who were often never felt that they were worthy enough to be able to go into a church, and so they were seen as kind of a little bit out there. They were unconventional preachers and revivalists in that way, and and yet God used them in a mighty way. Charles Wesley, the the hymn writer, he wrote over 6,000 hymns. 6,000 hymns, and his goal in hymn writing wasn't just to make a whole bunch of beautiful noises and sounds and music that, that set to, to, um, to music. His goal in hymn writing was to teach the poor and illiterate sound biblical doctrine. His brother said of his, other, of his brother's hymn book and, and his hymn writing is that his hymn book was the best theological book in existence. And that is one thing that is true of many our hymn, many of the hymns of the, uh, of the day of old that we sing. There are oftentimes great theological truths that are proclaimed in these songs, and very much so uh, the songs of, of Charles Wesley. And so when it comes to Christmas carols, uh, we have a powerful one here in Hark the Herald Angels Sing that, that he wrote. And it speaks of powerful gospel truths that are being sung. And the major theme in Hark the Herald Angels is, the main theme is that God sent his one and only son to reconcile the sinner back to himself. The word hark means listen up, come on, pay attention. And it was inspired, the word hark, and and why he wrote it was while he was listening to some church bells sounding and making that, that bold, loud sound that church bells do, that attract people to remind them to pray, remind them it's time for church or whatever it might be. In the same way, hark is used to get our, our attention. And so, hark, you need to pay attention to the message of the angels. And, and, and so, 
This morning we're going to be looking at this, not so much the hymn, but we're going to look at the story behind the hymn, the, the biblical story behind the hymn, and we're going to ask ourselves the question, why did the angels sing? Why was Hark the Herald Angel? Why were they singing that Christmas night? Now, angels play a prominent role in the Christmas story and, and uh, a big part of the Christmas tradition, right? I mean, I mean it, it, angels are all over the place. We have decorations of angels on our trees, and we have them as part of the nativity sets kind of hovering over top, you know, of the nativity sets that we see. And we saw some of those pictures last week. And I, j- just so you know, I don't think you should put an angel on top of your Christmas tree. I'm a star guy, all right? Not to offend those of you that are angel, because just so you know, I needed to just share that with you this morning, that, that I think angels on a Christmas tree just aren't, aren't right. Uh, uh, but you should have a star on your Christmas tree, and that's what you'd find when you come to our house. But uh, anyways, I just, just thought I needed to, to clarify that in case I'm sure none of you were even wondering or were even considering that, but I just thought I'd share that with you anyways. Probably most of us can remember a time when our children, or maybe it's your grandchildren, or maybe you yourself was, even played the part of of an angel in a Christmas concert or a play. Here, I went back to the Lutzer archives and I found a picture of me uh, as a little angel, a little three-year-old angel standing beside my little sister or my older sister. And, uh, and, and I mean, just so cute, you know? I mean, I'm sure that was the first and the last time that my mother and the Sunday school teachers ever called me an angel. And truth be known, um, as a young guy, I had these two little freckles in the lower back, kind of on offside, you know, offsetting, just kind of perfectly in line with one another. And my mom would always ask the question, are those going to be horns or are they going to be wings? You know, and uh, I guess you guys can decide that, you know, and uh, she would probably still have her opinion to this day about that. But the best place to learn about angels, there's TV shows, there's books, there's movies, there's, you know, touched by an angel or, or different sort of uh, beliefs when it comes to angels. Where's the best source? Where's our best source to find out about angels? It's the Word of God. That's where the story of angels originated. We don't need all these extra kind of books and readings and different things and movies and TV shows to enlighten us on the life of angels and, and about angels. We have the Word of God. And in the Word of God, there's over 300 references to angels that are made. And anything and everything you want to know and need to know about angels, you're going to find in the Word of God. And even our small groups this past fall here, a number of weeks ago, even covered the topic of angels and just kind of, uh, kind of scratched the surface of that. But there's over 300 references. And what we do know about angels, I'm going to just mention a number of the things that we do know about angels, is that they have been created by God. They're spiritual beings with great power. They have independent existence. They have a mind. They have emotion. They have a will. They are invisible. Because they are spirit beings, they're, they're unseen, but at times they take on bodily form when God desires for them to appear to us. They can choose, they can make decisions, they can think, they can travel, they give messages as God would direct. Another thing about them, they worship and they glorify God continually. They have power. They're warriors. And the Bible teaches there are good angels and there are bad angels. There are the elect and the holy angels, and the Bible teaches there's also the fallen angels, the evil ones, the deceitful angels. And one of the best places we get a picture, a snapshot of some angelic activity is in the Christmas story, because after 500 years of silence, 500 years where there were no angel appearances, there was no prophetic announcements, there was 400 years of silence, but 500 years that we can understand that there was no angelic appearances to God's people, 
All of a sudden, we have a fury of angelic activity that takes place as we look in the book of Matthew and the book of Luke in regards to the Christmas story. In in the Christmas story, we have Gabriel, one of the archangels, appears to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. Then later, Gabriel appears to Mary. Then in Matthew chapter 1, Joseph encounters an angel in a dream. And so now we're going to read about one angel, and then we're going to read about a multitude. We've already had some of this read, but we're going to read it in the fuller context here this morning. We're going to start at Luke, 8, Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8. And it says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there were with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. And so here in Luke chapter 2, we have these unsuspecting outcasts, the shepherds, as we talked a bit about them last week, out taking care of the sheep at night. And they were just simply doing normally what shepherds do. And, and it was, it's believed that this was in the winter season that this was taking place. It was probably cold night, so they would have been gathered around a fire. And out of nowhere, an angel appears to them. And it doesn't say specifically, but more than likely, to keep consistency with the word of God, this probably was the angel Gabriel that came. And in verse 9, take a look at that. It says, and the Lord appeared, and an angel of the Lord appeared. Now that word appeared is more than just kind of like an angel hovering over top, kind of like drone footage, you know, sort of thing. That's what we often think, you know, all of a sudden they look up and they see this angel, but the word appeared actually is better translated from the Greek as stood near. An angel was walking among them that we believe here is what God's word is telling us, that this angel was walking, standing among them. And then as we continue to keep reading that this angel is then joined by a multitude of angels and together they proclaim glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so this morning we want to ask ourselves the important question, encourage you to write this down, there's going to be three points to this, why did the angels sing? Why were the angels singing here on this evening, this night, this great night, what seemed to be a very normal night, just an ordinary mundane night in the life of uh, the shepherds outside of Bethlehem? Why did the angels sing? And the first reason is because they lived for the glory of God. They didn't live for their glory. They lived for the glory of God. In verse 9, it says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Verse 14, it says, they proclaim glory to God in the highest. Think about it. They weren't living for themselves, but rather for the God who created them. They were ecstatic about their God and all that he had done and all that he was yet to do. They didn't exist for their glory, but for God's glory. In Isaiah 6, we get a glimpse of angels around the throne, worshiping, praising God, giving glory to God. And now, as you remember, angels had a choice. Angels have a mind. They had free will. They were able to, to, to choose for themselves who they would obey and who they would follow. And, and as you remember, as, as again, we talked about this and looked at this in our small group study, that, that there was Lucifer, the archangel, one of the angels that 
whose responsibility was for worship, but whose pride and self-seeking ended up seeking his own glory and, and not the glory of God, ended up rebelling and was kicked out of heaven. And a third of the angels, now called demons or evil or deceitful spirits, went with him. They had a choice. And they know from the word of God what their end will be. They chose rebellion. They chose pride. They, they chose to glorify not God, but to glorify themselves or to glorify Lucifer, who is not God. They know their future. They know that one day they will be cast down into the lake of fire for eternity. But until that time, they have been given a certain amount of freedom to wreak havoc and destruction here on this earth to try to influence and take as many people with them as possible. Now the angels, the two-thirds that remained faithful, loyal to God, understood then and they understand even to this day that they don't exist for themselves, but they exist for the God who created them. You know what I strongly believe and scripture would point to this, that even here this morning as we were worshiping God, we were not alone. That there would be angels that would have been here also as we are giving glory to God. That the angels are also worshiping. They can't get enough of giving glory to God. Sadly, so much in our lives though, we can't get enough of giving glory to ourselves or looking for glory for ourselves. They understood and they understand that God would send them and use them for his will and for his purposes. And because of this, they have a song to proclaim because they are glorifying God. They're desiring to live for him. And because of that, there is a song in their heart, a song of joy, a song of rejoicing. You see, living a life of worship and obedience and, and, and a life that is bringing and desiring to give glory to God is a satisfied life, a fulfilled life. One that is seeking its own self-satisfaction, own self-glory. It's where everything starts going south. The problem is, is that we all do this. As I think it's Paul Tripp who said, we're all glory thieves. We try to steal the glory, the glory that rightfully belongs to God. And the problem is, is that sinful, selfish, egocentric nature that we have. I mean, cute little kids, and I love little babies. I mean, I love little kids, and, and, and uh, you know, we we're giving our daughter, she got home from Calgary last night after being away, and we're giving her an update on all the kids. She loves little kids, and, and I was giving her an update on, you know, just some of the little kids in our church, and, and love them. But man, they're little selfish things, aren't they? I mean, one of the first words that they learn is what? Mine? Mine, you know, and, and, you know and, and, and if they don't get what they want, they cry and they scream and they get pretty ugly about it at times. And, and, and we do the same. We just have refined our, you know, ugliness or sometimes it is actually pretty, pretty ugly. I like what Paul Tripp, he said, I'm going to quote this here. I took it from an article I read. He said, um, sin draws us away from God's glory and towards our own glory. Sin pulls us away from God's kingdom and produces in us an obsessive allegiance to our own kingdom. Sin makes us less concerned about what God wants and more concerned about with what we want. Sin causes us to be more excited about our personal plans than we are about the things God has planned for us. Sin makes us more focused on our feelings than on God's will. And we've all been infected. And this is a fight that we will face, that we are fighting. 
And we will face it and fight it till the day we die, but I trust we will face and fight it with victory, many victories along the way. You see, we want life to go that we life to go the way that we wanted it, the way that we planned. We come up with our plans and our agendas and, and, and our hopes and our dreams, and then we just kind of say, okay, snap our fingers and say, okay, God, make it happen. We buy houses, we move, we do take jobs, we do different things, and and and, and then we say, okay, God, now bless us. God, you, you, you now, you know, make this happen for us as if he's kind of like this genie that, that is there to grant us our wishes. That, that's just so wrong. But sadly, today you also find many preachers today telling you that God exists for you. That, that you, that, that God wants nothing more than for you to be healthy and for you to be wealthy and to be loved. And here on this earth, you can have your most wonderful life and you can have it now but also include a nice donation to the ministry and, and that will help further the cause for this to happen in your life. You will be well on your way to having your dreams fulfilled. We chase after and we live after this kind of a mindset rather than laying it all out before God and say, okay, God, what would you have? What would you have for my life? What would you have for my future? It's not God, here's my plans, here's my hopes, here's my dreams. It's God, what would you have? And we chase after and we lived with this mindset. God, what would bring you glory in my life? What in my future would bring you glory? And this happens, folks. It happens in our work. It happens in our family, in our marriages. We can be so selfish and so self-centered. And it happens in the life of the church where we just make it all about us. I think today we live in such a consumeristic mindset, and there's a video that's floating around. I got it sent to me this past week from a number of sources, a number of people, and it's about, it's a funny Christian guy who is actually, I think he's coming to Kelowna sometime in the new year, and, um, and, and this week a video has been circulating on social media and that called Vir Virtual Church, and it's, it's funny, it's silly, and sadly, there's some truth to it. Take a look at it. Tired of the stress of having to choose a Sunday morning outfit? Never make a fashion mistake again because Virtual Reality Church will style you based on your denomination. Not a people person? Select the introvert experience to completely eliminate the welcome team, meet and greet time, connect cards, and that awkward hold hands with the person next to you thing we still do. Next, personalize your morning by choosing the worship experience that you want. Feeling a touch of white guilt? Add a minority worship leader. Custom options even let you tailor the skinniness of your worship leader's jeans. Finally, no more having to endure songs that you don't like. With Virtual Reality Church, you're in charge. For the sermon, choose the amount of conviction you'd like and we'll select a pastor for you. We'll even let you tailor your sermon topics so you'll never have to attend a Vision Sunday or a sermon series on giving. And never worry again about dozing off during the sermon. With Virtual Reality Church, you can sleep as long as you want. Kids being bad in nursery? Who cares? Worried about missing a football game? Enter your favorite team and we'll provide notifications when the game is starting. Never miss a kickoff again. Want to go forward for prayer? Well, if you select the Pentecostal service, always stand in front of the mattress. Even connect your social media accounts and we'll post for you. Get credit for being super spiritual all from the comfort of your couch. Finally, an option for people asking the question, how can I make Sunday morning even more about me? Virtual Reality Church, the future of church attendance. 
There you go. The future of where it's going, and some might say, well, it's already here. Uh, where we make life, we can even make church about our wants and our needs. Now, folks, don't get, don't get me wrong. It's, there's nothing wrong with having goals and dreams and desires. There's no, nothing wrong with even desiring control and, and leadership. And, and it, it, nothing wrong with desiring and having beautiful possessions or to be surrounded by a community of love and, and a family that, that is, is honoring to God. There's nothing wrong with these hopes and these dreams and the desires. But when it becomes wrong is when these desires are the things that rule our heart. When these are the things that become first and foremost and no longer about the glory and the blessing of God. It's wrong when they become the priority. They become the obsession. They become the driving passion of our lives. And we are no longer living for the glory of God. The angels had that settled. They determined that they would live for the glory of God. And because of that, they sang. What we need is a Copernican revolution or revelation take place. And, 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 and this is something, just reading about it even on Wikipedia this week, Nicholas Copernicus was a Renaissance-era um, mathematician and astronomer who formulated a model of the, of the universe that placed the sun rather than the earth at the center of the universe. Prior to this, they used to think that the earth was stationary and the sun revolved around the earth. And you know what? We need some of the same kind of revolution in our own lives. We need to be realizing that that the Son, the S-O-N, the Son of God, does not revolve around us, but that we exist and we, our lives are to revolve around Him. And so many of the problems that we face in our lives, in our work, in our family, in church, in society, it's, it's a result of us thinking and living that God and others exist and, ev- and, and revolve around us. And so we make our plans. And we want others and we want God just to come alongside and bless them. And, and when they don't, we become angry. We become frustrated. We become depressed. We quit. We give up. Our lives are to revolve around the Son of God. It's waking up every morning instead of saying, here's my plan, here's my agenda. It's God, what would you have for me today? These are the things that are on my plate, but God, what would you have? How can I glorify you today in the busyness of my life? Living for our own glory, it will end badly. It will. There, there, there will be temporary and there will be seasons where things will go well, but there will always be that emptiness there will be that feeling, that, that, that feeling of being unfulfilled, which often can lead to anger or emptiness or just despondency. But when we live for God's glory, we fulfill the purposes for which we were created, just like the angels were. And the glory and the rejoicing that they had because they were fulfilling the glory in which God made them, and that was to give glory to God. And the same that God has granted for us that we would live our lives to bring glory to him. And so when, when that's happening, there's a joy, there's a peace, there's a strength. That even when life doesn't go as planned, as we go through hardships and trials, that God is there with us as the Prince of Peace because of Jesus. That's why the angels are singing. That's why they were rejoicing. That's why they were giving glory to God. And so this morning, I wonder just, whose glory are you living for? 
Is your reputation, what others think about you, driving you more than what God already knows of you? Where are we stealing the glory away from God? Where are we taking it upon ourselves? Where have we become proud and arrogant and think, I'm a self-made person, look at what I've already done. Or we're setting the goals so that I will be that self-made person and look at all that I have done. And people say, oh, what a person. No, so that people will look at us and with a heart of gratitude say, look at what God has done in that person. As we desire to lift up others and we desire to lift up God. And so it starts with laying it down at the start of the day and say, God, it's yours. Here are my thoughts, here are my plans, but what would you have for me today, God? I want my life to revolve around your plan and your will and your purpose. And so God, help me through my life and through my lips to bring glory to you today. God, would you increase in my life and may Melden Lutzer, may, may I decrease. And there's a freedom And there's a worship when we let go. There's a joy that returns and a song in our hearts when that happens. And that's why the angels are singing. Another reason why the angels are singing because of the beauty of the incarnation. Now, growing up in Saskatchewan, there weren't necessarily, some would say, a lot of beautiful scenes in Saskatchewan. And yet, it would contain, as many from there would agree, that there is a beauty of its own, even in the flatness of the prairies. But one of the best days for a farm boy, and oftentimes, we would spend much of our summers out on the old family farm. And for me, the best day of the year was the first day of harvest. The first day that we would roll our combines out of the yard and take them out into the fields and start the harvest. These are, I went back to the old Lutzer archives. These are some pictures from the 80s, actually. And, and, and I, I, I was just so, I mean, it's such a good thing they didn't have social media back then. Because I would be filling up page after page of combine pictures. Even now, I get that little pull in the fall season, sitting here in Kelowna and just wishing I could see a combine, wishing I could see some harvest. I even put it out on Facebook, I think, this, this past year and just said, hey, any of my farming friends or friends of friends, if you have any pictures of combine that this guy's going through withdrawal, send me some pictures, send me some videos. And, and I got some of those sent on my Facebook page as well as uh, just to me personally. I'm like, ah, oh, it's so wonderful. Because the farmer has worked so hard for this day, has worked so hard, they have, have toiled, they have put energy, they have put much of their income, sometimes their life savings into that crop and they, they put on their, their sprays and their chemicals and their fertilizers and they do everything so that we'll get to this day. I mean, this would be considered in the 80s an action shot, this picture, like the grain going into like, because... Not a lot of video back then, you know, that you could easily access, but even got a nice... You know what was the second most exciting day on the calendar for me? was having to wait in order to see if the pictures were developed. And so waiting for the, the mail to arrive with the pictures, you know, you'd have to take the film in and turn it in, and then Superstore came along and had one hour photo delivery. You paid an arm and a leg for it, but hey, it was a great way to get those pictures within an hour. Now we snap the picture, you see it right now. It's just, just so awesome. You can take hundreds, anyways, it's just... But, but, but that was the second greatest day to be able to see these pictures. And, and, and in so many different ways, I mean, we, for a farmer, it just doesn't get better than that. 
I mean, and, and some of you, you can't relate to that, but you might, you know, it's, it's when the contract gets signed and all of the deal that you've been working for and, and striving for happens, it's like, yes, this is awesome, or, or, or that deal finally goes through, or, or you give the keys to the house or to the car, to, you, you turn it over to the new owner, and it's just like, yes, I made this sale, it happened, or, or it's the first fruits or the first vegetables that come in from the garden that year, and again, just the toil and the work and the building up towards, or the student who finished their exam for the semester or for the rest of their life and it's just like yes I've worked so hard and now it's all done woohoo or maybe it's I finally got married yes and there's this sense of yes of accomplishment that so much has been building towards this event and this this moment and now when it actually happens when it's here you're just bubbling you wouldn't miss it for the world well here in Luke 2 I think that's exactly what was happening for the angels Because here we see just one angel, but then we see a multitude of angels showing up. I mean, this was the day for them. This was a day that they were longing for and waiting for and wondering when it would be and how it would happen. They had no clue, but they knew that something was moving towards this day. And in verse 11, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And they're like, yes, it's happening. Now remember these angels, they were present at creation. They would have witnessed Adam and Eve walking and talking in the presence of God, in the glory of God, in the garden. However, these angels also would have witnessed the fall of man, Adam and Eve's rebellion in the garden. They would have witnessed them being tossed out of the garden and then even an angel with a flaming sword standing to the gates of the garden so that they could not come in. Because God's glory was there and they would be struck dead if they walked in. They would have witnessed the return of God's glory to the earth in limited capacities in Exodus 40 when the tabernacle was built. And then later the temple where there was the holy of holies, that, that little tent, that little curtained off area where God himself, God, the Shekinah glory of God would rest upon the earth the angels would have witnessed in the cloud by day and the fire by night that would lead the Israelites out of Egypt and, and into eventually the promised land. Limited capacities. And a cloud and a fire. The angels also sadly would have watched in Ezekiel 8 when the glory of the Lord departed from the earth. Hundreds of years from this date here in Bethlehem. When the glory of of God departed from the earth as a judgment because of the wickedness and the idolatry of God's people. And they would have watched the glory of the Lord go over the Mount of Olives, over the mountain, and gone from this earth. Now hundreds of years later, the glory of God was coming back to the earth. Not as a mystical presence, not in the form of a cloud or a fire, not in a place in the Holy of Holies, but was coming in human flesh. This was the day, the promised day it was coming. And in verse 13, when it says a multitude of angels, we don't know how many. Were there 100? Were there 1,000? Were there 10,000? You know what I believe? And, And I think it's okay to perhaps think along these lines, but I would think that every available angel in the universe would have been there because this is what they were longing for. This is what they were waiting for. 
And when they heard that this business was going down on the earth, it's like, we're there. We're outside of Bethlehem. And perhaps it was from horizon to horizon that these angels were there and there proclaiming the glory of God, that God was coming to this earth. Think of it. The expressed image of God in mortal flesh. The heir of all things, of all people. The heir in a manger. He left the throne for the mud. The supernatural became the natural. Heaven clothed itself with earth. And it says in John 1, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know what that word dwelt actually means? Tabernacled. That God came down and took a presence here on this earth in his son. No wonder the angels rejoiced and sang. Because of the incarnation of God becoming man. The miracle of miracles was taking place and they were a singing. They were rejoicing. Spurgeon said this. All the attributes of God were in that little child. Most marvelously and displayed and veiled. You remember in John 17. When Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, he takes them up a mountain to a high point of the mountain of transfiguration, as it's called now, and he pulls back his flesh. And what do they see? They see the glory of God. As he was transfigured before them, the radiance, the glory. And folks, we have to understand, God's word tells us that someday, one day, and probably sooner than we even would think in the second coming of Jesus Christ, the glory of God will return to this earth. And what a day that will be. One day the glory of God will come back. We read about this in Matthew 24, Matthew 25, when Jesus returns and the glory returns, his glory comes to this earth, not just to a few shepherds, Not just to some disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration will we see the glory of God. Instead, it will be the entire universe will see it. Terrifying for some, devastating for them, and yet glorious for others. The full universe, angels, demons, anyone and everyone who's ever lived will see the blazing glory of God. It won't be his backside. It won't be as afterglow. It won't be as a baby in a manger. It will be as our conquering king. We will see him face to face. And when sinful man confronts the glory of God, he will be incinerated. And when a redeemed man sees the glory of God, we will worship. We will worship and we will bow down. And that is the final And the glorious judgment, but also blessing that we will see as God's glory descends. His kingdom of glory will be on earth and in heaven forever and ever, and it's coming. Augustine said this, he says, God humbles himself and yet we remain proud. We hear this news and some of you are just itching to get out of here because you've got a a busy week. You've got a lot on the go. It's your plan, it's your agenda, and we're not even taking time. It's just like, "Eh, whatever, I'm gonna keep going. No, one day, one day, his glory will be revealed, and those who are redeemed will sing, will praise, and will worship. The angels are singing, and they're worshiping, and they're, they're, they're not even redeemed. Jesus didn't come for them. 
He came for us. He came to reconcile sinners, and yet they're rejoicing. Oh, may this Christmas, may we be so humbled by this miracle. May we worship, may we rejoice, may we take time to glory in our Redeemer, in glory in the miracle of the Incarnation. And thirdly, we want to see why did the angels sing? Because the good news is available to all people. Verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all the people. This isn't a universal grace. This isn't a universal salvation. This is for those. It goes on, and on earth peace among those in whom he is pleased. How is he pleased? By us calling upon his son. By us humbling ourselves and admitting and confessing our sin. Redeeming that, admitting that we have all fallen short and we can't make it to God on our own prerogative. The angels are rejoicing in God's grace and seeing God's grace displayed. That his grace reaches down to the lowest of the low. And where does God choose to bestow his glory, to, to reveal his glory after 500 years? Who, who is his glory first revealed to? Through the message of the angels, it's to the lowly outcast, the losers, the scumbag of society. They're rejoicing that God's grace comes to the spiritually bankrupt, to the broken, to the needy, not to those who are high on themselves and think that God's lucky to have them on, on his team. It comes to the lowly, the humble. It comes to those who, as God's word declares, then all who call in the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus was being criticized for spending way too much time with the outcasts of society. He was often accused of spending time with tax collectors and sinners. Sinners were often a reference to, again, the low life of society and oftentimes even a reference to prostitutes. And Jesus was being criticized. And again, Luke 15, they're, they're all negative about, about where Jesus is putting his time. But there in Luke 15, Jesus goes on to tell three stories about three lost items. A sheep that was lost, a valuable coin, a son estranged from his family. And Jesus told of the great rejoicing that took place. Years ago when I was a younger pastor and maybe a little foolish because um, this wasn't the most popular thing I ever did, although very well remembered, I was preaching on the parable of the lost sheep and uh, I got up, I asked people to open their Bibles and, and we were going to start reading from Luke chapter 15 about the story of the lost sheep and I had an usher come running up and whisper something in my ear and all of a sudden I said to the church congregation, I said, uh, just, just, just you folks continue on. Hey, and I, I called up a volunteer to come and, and read that passage. I said, they're telling me my daughter Clarice is missing from the nursery and I have to go find her. And so I go running out of the sanctuary and, and uh, you know, and so this person gets up and, 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 uh, and people are sitting there thinking, well, we should go help. Like, what's going on? They, they lost Clarice. What's going on? And, and everyone knew where our church was located. There was a, uh, a road and a railroad track uh, on one side. And the other side was kind of a park, but then there was a lake or, or a river. And so it was kind of like, where did a little girl go missing from the nursery? And so as he was reading the scripture passage, I grabbed her from the nursery, ran around and came in one of the back doors and just as he was coming in I had her over my shoulders just like a shepherd would bring his lost sheep over his shoulders and saying rejoice with me well some people were about ready to kill me because I would do such a thing and play with their emotions in that way but they did remember it 
And the God's word says that for a shepherd, when he finds that, he leaves the 99 to go after the one, there's great rejoicing. For the family who lost that valuable coin, that heirloom or that coin that their inheritance or that their future depended upon and they found it, there was great rejoicing. Or in the the father who, who called a party and a celebration because his prodigal son has returned home after living with the pigs, living and spending and, and his money foolishly and his inheritance all gone and yet he returned home and the father calls a party. And what does God's word has to say? Jesus says there's greater joy in heaven. When one sinner repents. There's a party that goes on in heaven when one sinner repents and turns to Jesus. And who is celebrating? Who are the ones? Who, who, who does it tell us? The angels. The angels are whooping it up in heaven. When one sinner repents. When you came to saving faith in Jesus Christ, it may have been super, like, just, just, a very, just a very calm moment in your life. But when that happened, there was a party in heaven over one sinner who repents. The angels are rejoicing because the good news is available to all. The angels sang because the everlasting Father had come to extend his arms of redeeming grace to all who would receive him. This past week, I went to Teen Challenge and, and had the opportunity to speak at their weekly chapel. I'm telling you, what a blessing to be able to go there. You have 20-some men who are in care there. Some of the staff were there. Family and friends of Teen Challenge were there, a part of it. And hearing the testimony of broken lives being rebuilt, not first and foremost as a result of the rehab or a program that they were in, ultimately their lives are being rebuilt by Jesus. Where each one of them had come to that point where they admitted, I need help. I can't get help for my addiction. I'm ruining my life. I'm ruining my family. And I need to come under the leadership. I need to come under the authority of someone like Teen Challenge, but ultimately, what does Teen Challenge direct them to? To Jesus. That Jesus is the one and the only one that can really and truly help them. As they submitted themselves first and foremost to God, and then to the program of discipleship that they are part of, what a joy to be with men who are rebuilding their lives. There's one of the men I talked to, he had been in Teen Challenge five years ago, but he said recently, he said, I, he said, I've become lukewarm in my faith and I have slipped and I have started causing destruction again to my life and also to my family and I'm back. And we might think, well, I don't need to go to Teen Challenge. I don't need to go to one of those places where I have, you know, an addiction problem. I'm not that bad. I'm here to tell you, I think we are because we are addicted to things that in the end, in the long run, will bring destruction to us, to our spiritual lives, to our joy, to our family, to those around us? And would we, like those men, be broken and then beautifully built back and rebuilt by Jesus? The worship in that room was incredible. Broken men being pieced together by Jesus. And we're all like them. The seriousness of a life that is lived for one's own glory. And why did the angels sing? Because they were giving glory to God. 
because of the beauty of what the incarnation, what Christmas is really all about and because this good news is available to all. What starts out as living for God's glory, and this can happen to so many of us, this can happen, it does happen oftentimes and sadly to pastors, to denominations. What starts out living for God's glory with best and greatest and most honorable intentions can become diluted, polluted with sin and selfishness, self-exaltation, and how we all need to keep coming back, coming back to the one, to the incarnation where God humbled himself. Let's pray together. And so God, we come to you here this morning where we need a Capernaum revolution in our lives. God, would we get off the idea and the mindset that you are here to revolve around our hopes and our plans and our dreams, but that we in simple humility would say, oh God, we want to live for you. We want to live for your glory. God, would we take time to just revel in adore you this Christmas season and all that you have done. If it's coming back in repentance to you and saying, God, I've, I've been living my own plan, my own agenda, and it's going pretty well, but not very satisfied. I know there's something more. It's because we're trying to fill a void that will remain there. It's that void that only you can fill. It happens as we live for your glory and for your honor. And we can't do it on our own. Try harder, run faster, get on the spiritual treadmill and just give it some more. We can't do it. But you can. You are able. You are able to go above and beyond. You are able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine when we are determined to live for your glory. Oh, would you be glorified through our lives and through our lips. May this song be a song of dedication, a song of crying out to God. All that he has done, how he can rebuild and is in the business of rebuilding and transforming lives and would a song forever be on our lips as a result of this Christmas season.